welcome to the first episode of 2020 of Women Advantage. I am so lucky tonight to be joined by Marissa and Jemmy, who currently writes for the Boston Herald, covers the Boston Bruins, does some other stuff. I was also very fortunate to meet her at an outdoor women's hockey game over the long Christmas break. How are you, Marissa? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, You are a great writer. I am a noted Bruins hater, but also I really like your writing. And so I actively read you, which kind of, you know, brings me conflict inside because you're talking so many nice things about a team that I don't like because they're so much better than mine. Well, I'm glad you read. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I know that the clicks matter too. So just like. The clicks always matter. Yeah. Go read the articles. Go click them. Even if you don't read them, just click on all of Marissa's stuff, but read it also. (laughs) Um, So I'll get started with what I call a softball question. Um, But how did you get started in hockey? I used to be a lacrosse writer, but I always wanted to do hockey too. So I was running the SB Nation pro lacrosse website, like actually like 10 years ago now, which feels insane to me. And then I was like covering hockey on the side a little bit. And I started covering the Bruins for inside hockey when I was 15, but wow. just like, part time and just like here and there. And then when I went to college, I got to be more involved and cover more games and did stat keeping at BU hockey and broadcasting. And then slowly but surely hockey kind of became my exclusive sport. That's awesome. So did you like grow up watching hockey or have you been a fan your whole life or did you get into it later? Yeah, first Bruins game I ever watched, I think I was 11. I remember they were playing the Maple Leafs and Blake Wheeler scored a hat trick. And I was like, this is amazing. And I'd been a baseball fan and a football fan, but didn't really follow hockey because the Bruins weren't really on the radar that much until around when I started watching them, they started getting good. Like, I think that was a year they played Montreal in the first round and they were, they were down in the series and they were the eight seed and Montreal was the one seed. And my dad started watching it. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll start watching this too. And I became a hockey fan pretty much overnight after watching my first game. Yeah, it's kind of hard to watch a good hockey game and not fall in love with it. It's a great sport. It's the best. Yeah. Um, kind of on a selfish note, I'm a huge Jack Eichel fan and you, you know, went to BU. Did you like Jack Eichel while you were there? <laughs> yeah, so I missed him by one year because I only went to no. BU for two years. So when it was funny because they were in a national championship and I didn't know if I was getting into BU or not yet. So I I wasn't sure if I should want them to win or not. And then, of course, they lost in horrific fashion to Providence. And I was like, well, if I don't get in, good. But then I did get in, (laughs) so I felt bad. But every time I've talked to Jack, he's always been super nice and he likes talking about BU. Yeah, he's a good Boston boy. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. So you don't just cover the Bruins. You also, you know, do some women's hockey coverage. And as you mentioned, you've also covered lacrosse. What would you say is the biggest difference in covering like different sports? Well, I mean, I used to do mostly high school sports. Like I worked for the Boston Globe for a bit. I did high schools and then I've done pretty much every lacrosse league and women's hockey. And the biggest difference always making the jump to NHL essentially full time is just, I guess, the organization of it. Like when I was covering high school sports, I was tracking everything like I had a separate phone that had no cell service, but just to type out like face-offs and hits and like crazy stuff. And I'd be videoing the game so I can see replays and stuff like that. So just the organization of, I I don't want to say I don't have to try, but like, I can just be like, oh, I wonder about this and look it up. And even in like women's hockey and lacrosse, that's a lot tougher. So like 
I cover the NHL more than anything else. But when I'm doing women's hockey, I almost have to put in like more effort just to find stuff out or figure out how to find stuff out where in the NHL, I can just be like, oh, I'll go to the media website or I can just ask literally anyone anything. So just the fact that it, it's funny because covering high schools and stuff like that, less people read it and stuff. And like a lot of people, I think, almost look down on that kind of work, which they shouldn't because it's essential in learning how to do sports journalism, I feel like. But it's it's easier almost covering something where all the bases are covered. Yeah, you have essentially infinite resources at your fingertips with like NHL and professional hockey coverage from, like you mentioned, the media website, but also from just like the universe of hockey Twitter and a lot of the other stuff that's available that might not be the officially sanctioned NHL data. Yeah, because there are just more people and more connections too. Like if I was trying to figure out just like how to find something out in the NWHL, there aren't any other writers in Boston really. Like there's a couple, but like not that much. There have been pride games where I'm the only person there and then it's really tough to just connect and be like oh how do I find this stuff out where if I'm going like even somewhere like Arizona I can text like four people and be like how do I do anything here it sounds like a lot of your pre-NHL work really prepared you for you know maybe having to dig around for some stories and the work you do now for the NWHL or if you ever cover anything else you have a lot of skills from your past experience of like having to hunt down data and stories and the kind of stuff that maybe someone who has more or less just covered the NHL or a higher level sport wouldn't have that experience. Yeah, whenever I'm talking to like college students or people who want to get into journalism, the first thing I always say is like, don't look down on covering like high school sports and stuff because I'm a deadline writer now and I get stories into second to game ends. And I don't think I'd be able to do that if for a couple of years before I wasn't at high school ranks that have no Wi-Fi and I'm trying to write a 250 word game story on my phone and trying to make that work. Now you just have to get a story in when the Bruins game ends. That feels so much easier. So just stuff like that, I feel like helped me a lot. And everyone's career path is differently. Like no one has the same thing, but I'd always recommend just going out there and getting that experience because you learn how to do the most difficult things. So when you do get to a level where there is a bigger audience and there's more pressure, you kind of already know what to do. Yeah. I would also imagine that being a deadline writer can be stressful for like watching the entire game and say the Bruins are down three nothing and they have a comeback in the third. You may have already kind of had your narrative for the game written out and then them coming back ruined it. So is there something that you do to kind of stop yourself from getting ahead of yourself in those situations? So this has been a thing all year. I was joking with people recently, like there have been like three game stories since November that I haven't had to delete this year because the Bruins keep blowing (laughs) leads and they also keep coming back and they keep going to overtime and it's impossible. When it gets to overtime, usually what I do, especially if there's a deadline crunch, I'll write like a lead for if they win and if they lose and then plug in. And then after going to talk to like coach and players, I'll go back and like make sure it's actually any good. But like I write during the game too. So like if a goal happens or something important happens, I'll write it down. So I'll have like a body of it. And then you basically write the lead and the score and then the closing and stuff like that. But it's tough because there aren't, not everyone's writing for a newspaper. So not everyone totally understands that like, yeah, basically the Bruins have taken years off my life this year by forcing me to write what should be a 500 word game story. And I end up writing like 2000 words because they can't hold a lead or something. (laughs) That sounds absolutely awful. I'm like very glad that you do it, but I'm glad that I don't have to. (laughs) It's an adrenaline rush too, though. It's fun when it works out. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I that's good. That's good. They, like, you kind of have to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie to do what you do. Yeah. Deadline is, like, the most powerful adrenaline rush out of anything ever. Like, I've joked before, I can have three cups of co- coffee or I can write a story on Deadline. It'll be the same thing. <laughs> I mean, honestly, probably better for you long term to just write the story on Deadline. Most likely. Um, but you are still, yeah, you're still pretty early in your career, even though it feels like I've been following you for such a long time. But how do you think that your coverage of hockey differs from some of your counterparts who have maybe been around doing coverage of a team for decades? Well, what's tough in Boston is there are so many writers and so many of them have been around for so long and have established uh, readerships and people know who they are and stuff like that. So when I started right away, I knew I I wasn't going to be any of them. Or because they have more connections, they've been around longer, but also just we think differently. I'm not going to write the way someone, a man 30 or older, is going to write about hockey because they've seen more and seen different than I have. So I always try to target kind of the audiences that maybe other people aren't thinking of because most of the time people writing about or talking about hockey are talking to one audience and it's generally like young men or like the hockey men type of mentality. And I don't have any of that perspective because I'm not one, so I'm not going to bother to try to write for that person. A game story is a game story. You're just telling what happened. But when I'm thinking of like stories that are going to interest people, I try to think about what would I care about if I wasn't a hockey writer? What would I want to know about? Or like when I was a teenager, what did I want to read about? So I just try to kind of write for those people almost because there is a readership there and there is an audience there and they're not always the people that stories are being written for. So I found an uptick in readership from younger people and women and basically non-cis men a lot of the time because that audience already exists and I'm not going to really try to tap into that except for like the obvious news stories like Matt Grizzlick didn't play today that like that's just fact but when I'm looking at other stories I'm I'm going to try to reach people who might not always be reached that's really awesome your kind of writing and the way you frame your stories really does open the door for non-traditional hockey fans So kind of in that vein, it seems like more women are getting involved in the hockey community now more than ever, like as fans, as bloggers, as, you know, people writing about stats and analytics. Um, Do you think that there's a particular reason for that? I mean, I think part of it has to do with women's hockey growing in general, too. Like the more you see someone else doing something, the more you believe you can do it, too, like. I didn't really think about being a sports journalist until I saw Jackie McMullen on TV and that kind of opened my eyes of, oh, I can do this. That's cool. So I imagine a lot of people my age probably saw stuff like that growing up and they started to see more women and were more encouraged. So, I mean, I I know I cover men's hockey mostly now, but I did a lot of women's hockey more before I started working for the Herald. And I, I always felt like extremely inspired that there were so many other women who were into hockey. So I think that as pro women's hockey and just in general, there's been so much more of that. I think people see that and it might be more inspiring to them. Because I know for me it was, but I, I can't speak for everyone else. But there definitely is an uptick in women in hockey. And this year, I mean, I don't know all time, but I know there are more women hockey writers this year than there were last year. Just because I go to different cities and I see more people and it's really cool and it's awesome to see because everyone's doing such a great job. But definitely that that audience and that just women – doing stuff in hockey is growing for sure. It's it's so great to see. And it feels like the community is just like opened their arms to all different types of fans. And I, I'm glad that I'm living through it. And it's not like 1975. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been working 
like in and around hockey and sports and writing about them since before you were in university. So where do you see yourself going next? It's so tough to say because like, it's weird. There was a Globe Bruins opening like a couple months before the Herald opening. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I wish I was like 10 years from now, like, cause then I could do it then. So I totally didn't even see it coming that I'd be a Bruins writer, NHL writer right now. I applied for a job like in June, 2018, an NHL writing job. Cause I just compulsively applied for every job I saw. And that was the first time anyone like got back to me and interviewed me. And I was a finalist. And then I was a finalist for two other NHL jobs that summer. And then I was kind of like, oh, my God, I could probably do this now, I guess. And then the Herald job opened up and was perfect because I I live here. So I didn't have to yeah. move or anything crazy. You know, <laughs> other jobs that would move me across the country and stuff like that. And I was totally willing to. But I basically, uh, until about three months before I got my job, I didn't think I'd be doing this within the decade. Yeah. So you, you're way ahead of your 10-year plan at this point. So you, I, if I were you, I wouldn't be thinking about the next step. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I really like being a writer for now. So. Yeah. And again, you're very good at it. So it works out well for everyone involved. <laughs> so as I mentioned at the top, um, we happened to run in each other at the Buttes Riveters outdoor game in you know late December because you happened to be in town the night before covering the Bruins Sabres game. Um, like, what was your perspective on that game? Like, just kind of what did you think of it? Well, the whole event was really cool. I kind of didn't know what to expect because I'd never been there before. And a few people were down on it because they were like, oh, it's not a real outdoor game. It has a roof. But being there and seeing it on the river and stuff like that, it was really cool. And it was great to see the support there. And the game too. Like, I mean, that was a wild game because the Riveters were up big and then Taylor Kersey <laughs> scored four goals by herself in the third period. And then the Riveters came back and they ended up winning. And those are two teams that have had some ups and downs this year in general, too. So it was a good display of the parody and just some of the high quality that the NWHL has. So it was really cool because that game obviously had a bit of a bigger audience being outdoors and all of that. And so many people got to see really good hockey. So I thought it was really great. And I hope they have more marquee events like that. My it was a the game was bonkers (laughs) and it was also very cold. So uh, in the second period, I ended up like going to the little inside covered area because we were so cold. But I had to go in there to write every time because my computer would get too cold outside. (laughs) Oh, God. That's just that's like a writer's nightmare. Yes. (laughs) I'm kind of keeping on the topic of women's hockey. It feels like we're kind of at an impasse in women's hockey professionally. You know, kind of what is your take on the current situation in the women's game? And what can we do as well, I'm an outsider, so I'm as like a fan for me. Like, what can I do to help just support women who want to play? There's so many nuances. It's so tough to say because, like, people tend to take sides in anything, and like everything else, people are taking sides in this. And I mean, for me, it's I have opinions too, so it's tough not to sometimes. I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing is just support women's hockey by watching it. That's the biggest thing anyone can do is grow the numbers and pay attention and engage, no matter what women's hockey it is. And I think what's sad right now with women's hockey is that because people are picking sides, they're not supporting all of women's hockey. People are choosing the parts of women's hockey they like. And that doesn't happen in men's sports, so it really rubs me the wrong way a lot of the time. Because in general, like, I mean, I'll just use an example. Something that rubs me the wrong way about the PWHPA is that they'll just pretend the NWHL doesn't exist. There are a lot of things I don't like in the world, but I have to know that they're real. And just ignoring it doesn't help anyone. So, and it also, I think, like Muddy used the PWHPA's whole message, which for them, they claim it's to further the game and to grow and everything like that. And they want something better than what they had. And if you want to be better than the NWHL, well, the NWHL has to be real then. 
So it's just, it's very confusing stuff like that. And you see comments and derogatory stuff and that that's, it, it's kind of discouraging overall because then it just looks like people are fighting and arguing instead of just like watching the games and growing the game. And I don't think anyone who's playing in the NWHL or watches the NWHL thinks that what the PWHPA players are doing is wrong or that their message is wrong. I think everyone wants the same thing and everyone has a different approach of how to get there. And it's not really fair to compare to something like men's pro sports when there are strikes or labor battles or stuff like that, because we're talking about so much more money in like full careers where no one playing pro hockey almost is full time right now. And I know everyone would like that, but they aren't right now. And the thing too, is the PWHPA, so many of them are Olympians. And if the NHL were to get involved, as we're kind of seeing with their roster for the All-Star game for the three-on-three, it's mostly for all Olympians. So players who aren't at that level and aren't going to be at that level but are still pro hockey players, why shouldn't they play right now when there's an opportunity? That that was the whole thing with Jordan Geron last week who left in the PWHPA and signed with the Boston Pride, and then they just took her off the whole website, which, again, that bothered me as well. So there's so many nuances and so many little things, and so people get so riled up and there's so much anger. I don't really know what's going to happen, but at some point it, it's going to reach ahead and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what eventually happens. Yeah, that was a, a very good summary of kind of how I feel about what's going on because I just like watching hockey and that can be men's hockey or women's hockey. So when there's conflicting events because one of the groups has decided to schedule on top of another, it's really frustrating because you're just splitting the audience at that point. Yeah, and like it's different audiences too. And it's, I mean, one thing I'll give the NWHL credit for, it's very accessible. You can watch any game and know what's going on. The PWHPA has been frustrating. Like this weekend I saw, oh, a Twitter stream and I went to click on it and you couldn't even see who the players were or anything like that. And again, their whole message is growing the game. I can't even see the game. So it, it, little things like that get frustrating when you think about everyone's resources coming together and working together for the same thing instead of arguing. But at the same time, I don't want to discredit what anyone's looking for because the PWHPA players do have some points about what they want to be better. But again, you're not going to get anything to be better when you're not acknowledging the thing you want to be better doesn't exist. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like, I would really like my working conditions to be better, but I'm going to pretend that the job isn't actually real. And so how can the working conditions of a thing that doesn't exist be real? Yeah, that's what's frustrating. Because like, I think everyone would like the conditions in the NWHL to be better. And they've done a pretty good job of listening and trying their best with their limited resources. That's the other thing, too. I don't know where anyone thinks the money is coming from if it doesn't exist. And sure, the NHL getting involved, but I'm just not banking on them coming in to save the day. They've had a WNHL trademark since 1991. The NWHL is only five years old. They could have run something well before then and chose not to. So even if the NHL does come in and run a women's hockey league after the NWHL existed, you're really just building on the work that's already been put in by women. Yeah, yeah. There's already a foundation and a framework and a fan base that exists so anything that comes in after is going to reap those benefits right exactly so it's not like the nhl is going to come in and save the day they're going to come in and just do what's been done already yeah just maybe with well definitely with more resources exactly yeah well let's this is all just a bummer let's talk about something that's a little <laughs> more fun <laughs> um how do you think that hockey can be more inclusive of, you know, women and, you know, people of color or just non-traditional fans in general? By hiring them and putting them in positions of power. I mean, as far as like 
just I'm going to use an example of NHL coaches, even though like that's just a market that seems almost imp- impossible to tap in if you're not a white hockey man who's been around for 40 years or whatever. Like <laughs> there have been seven coaching changes and two of them were guys who came in who were already fired in the same year. Like there are more than 31 people in the world who can do this job and they don't all look <laughs> the same and behave the same. And then you go look even further into like front offices and journalism and even players for like, to be totally honest, and it's all the same person over and over again, it's, it's kind of discouraging sometimes. You're like, wow, like, when you do see a woman or a person of color, it really can feel like tokenism sometimes. And you're like, you look at, like, hockey Twitter, for example, and you see so many talented people who, like, don't have roles in hockey, and you're like, well, why? And then you realize, well, they aren't just a white guy. And that's frustrating. So, I mean, just in general, the NHL, they can act all they want, like, hockey is for everyone, but they have to actually act on that. That can start with stuff as simple as taking seriously like allegations of domestic abuse and stuff like that, all the way to just like giving women and people of color jobs and stuff like that. It's it shouldn't be as difficult as it is. It sounds so easy, but it's been years and years of not that. Yeah. I think it's like harder for the the white men in charge of the league to see, kind of from our perspective of like let us in the door and let us help you make this better for everyone because for them it's working just fine because the system was designed for you know the white men in charge of the system to continue to reap the benefits yeah people are threatened like as soon as a woman comes in that now their job is going to be lost where it has nothing to do with it like i i remember hearing before saying like just because someone else has a microphone doesn't mean you don't like there's room for everyone. And instead of just not having a monopoly, they choose to kind of just circle the wagons for each other, rehire each other over and over again, instead of just expanding their horizons and getting different perspectives, which is again, why I try to write for different perspectives, because so few people can do that. So few women or people of color or non-white men get the opportunity to expand their audience. So that's why I take that so seriously. And I think that all the women in hockey right now, all the writers we see are doing a good job of that as well. Yeah, it's really awesome to see kind of from the outsider's perspective, just the inclusivity of the hockey community that isn't necessarily the formal structure of the NHL. Agreed. <laughs> so what can we as individuals do to move the game and culture forward? Like, I'm not inside the system. You, you know, you write for a major publication, but you're not like in the system. How can we make a difference? I think one of the biggest things is always just calling stuff out when you see it, which is, it's easier said than done because no one wants to risk their position or status. But the more people that do kind of go out on a limb and say, I mean, we saw this kind of with some of the coaching abuse allegation, people coming forward and saying, hey, this happened and look what the impact it made. So I think more people doing that and calling out other people's behavior too, just because like, cause it's tough. If something happens to you and you come out and say something, you're at risk, right? So I think there is responsibility on other people to be like, hey, like, don't behave this way towards other people and just calling people out and holding themselves accountable and holding others accountable for their actions as well and not just relying on victims or people whose life they're already difficult enough trying to be who they are to do it for them. Yeah, that's that's really good insights. How do we get more women involved in hockey? I mean, from from an NHL perspective, just hiring um, I like a couple of things they've done. I don't want to just like yell at the NHL all day. So there have been a couple of things. Like I like the um, initiative they had at rookie camp with the women officials and how they're going to officiate at the All-Star game for the three-on-three women's tournament as well. Like stuff like that's really cool. 
Um, the one blind area I've seen in hockey, and maybe it's just because I used to do play-by-play, um, just the broadcasting, you don't see almost any women, and it seems like really difficult. I mean, AJ Molesko does a great job. There's a few others, but it's so rare. And I remember when I was doing play-by-play in the NWHL and even men's college hockey, it just seemed like this is going to be impossible to get any further in hockey with this because there just isn't anyone, and it's, it's so tough. So just stuff like that because women do get discouraged. And I know people not only in hockey, but in sports in general, who wanted to be sports writers or work in sports and just were discouraged so early because you just don't see people like yourself out there. So the fact that there's more women doing stuff now and people see stuff like that is really great. Because like I said, I didn't think of being a sports writer until I saw one who was a woman. I was like, oh, cool, I can do that. And I think that goes for hockey players, broadcasters, front offices, stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's really hard to get into something when you don't see yourself like at all reflected back in the people who are doing it. Right. So one last question. What is your absolute favorite part about hockey? It can be about your job or about the game. Just like one thing that every time it happens, it reminds you why you love it so much. The part of my job I like the most is traveling and getting to see like hockey in different places. Like it's really like I'm in I live in Boston. I'm from here hockey matters here so like that's normal but it's really cool to go places like Tampa or Dallas or Arizona and be like oh people care about this here too and like Carolina into playoffs last year and stuff like that's really cool to see all the hockey communities and people who essentially all love the same thing and are showing your support in their own unique ways based on where they're from and a lot and just like every once in a while I'm at a game and it like strikes me like watching the game like this is really cool just like every aspect of it is I mean I don't want to say I'm anti-physicality in hockey, just like, I just don't care if it's there or not. But like, you watch like the skating and the skill and stuff like that and the goaltending and it's mesmerizing sometimes. And you're like, everyone doing this is like the best at it in the world. And that's amazing that we get to see that. It's for men's and women's hockey. Like we get to see the best in the world do this. And it's so cool and it's so awesome. And like, just think to do that consistently and like my entire life revolves around that. It's really, really cool. I always like to hear what people like the most about it, because sometimes when we're having these harder conversations about inclusivity, it can get kind of down. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Ending on a high note in 2020. So I like it. Kind of with, yeah, with that, is there, you know, anything you're working on that you want to plug? Where can people find your stuff? Um, I'll have a lot of cool stuff at the All-Star Game, especially about the women's players now. So if people want to read the Boston Herald live from St. Louis, that would be really nice. And um I guess on Twitter, I all the stuff I do goes on Twitter and then some. So on Twitter, follow me. And please don't unfollow me because my follower count's finally going up and it's exciting. Yeah. I highly recommend giving Marissa a follow because, again, she's delightful. Not just hockey stuff. Like, all around. Wonderful. Thank you. That's very and, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with that, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. And thank you for being my first guest of 2020. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. And everyone, thank you for listening. Um, You can find the podcast at Women Advantage on Twitter. Uh, You can email us if you have any suggestions for who you want on next at womanadvantage at gmail.com. And um, do me a favor and subscribe and review the podcast so more people can find it. And, you know, I'll link my Twitter and Marissa's in the notes so that you can just click it and go right there. But with that, I'm Hannah and